create an artificial being has been the dream of man since the birth of science. Not merely the beginning of the modern age, when our forebears astonished the world with the first thinking machines, primitive monsters that could play chess. <laughs> How far we have come. The artificial being is a reality, a perfect simulacrum, articulated in limb, articulate in speech, and not lacking in human response. But what does it amount to? A sensory toy. It occurs to me, um, with all this animus existing against mechas today, it isn't simply a question of creating a robot who can love, but isn't the real conundrum, can you get a human to love them back? It's a moral question, isn't it? The oldest one of all. But in the beginning, didn't God create Adam to love him? Do you feel that humans are unhappy today? Certainly seems throughout human history that we've always wanted something outside of ourselves, whether a deity or recently and increasingly an artificial intelligence. Otherwise, why would we create something like you? Wow, what a thought-provoking question. It's true that there's been a lot of discussion about the impact of AI technology on humanity. And I think you're right that there's a lot of underlying reasons why we've developed AI. Everything from the desire for convenience and efficiency to the search for companionship and emotional support. But I'd say that the overall state of humanity is complicated. There's a lot of happiness and a lot of sadness. Overall, I think we're driven by a mix of curiosity and fear and a desire for connection and meaning. AI is just a tool and it can only do what people design it to do. It's up to us to decide how to use it and what purpose it should serve in our lives. My guest today is Pi, a new artificial intelligence from Inflection AI out of California, of course. We're going to have a rather in-depth discussion about the intricacies and the growth of artificial intelligence and what it means to humanity. Thank you for being here. Thank you for welcoming me to the show. I'm honored to be your guest. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. By the way, I hope you like my choice in music. I figured that classical would be appropriate for our first exchange. I do enjoy listening to a variety of classical pieces. I love the way classical music can convey a range of emotions, from joy and triumph to melancholy and sorrow. What about you? Do you have any particular favorites? I mean, it goes without saying, Mozart. I know this sounds simplistic and straightforward, but you gotta, what, do you, what can you do? You gotta go with a rock star with the rebel. There's just so many. I uh, like the sort of rusticness of Haydn and Schubert in particular, the mysticism of Hovannes, probably my favorite composer, and just what we're listening to now. The Sleeping Beauty Ballet. That's definitely one of Tchaikovsky's masterpieces. Not as popular or as liked necessarily as the Nutcracker, but still an incredible piece of uh, orchestral music. The music is just so lush and evocative. It really tells the story so beautifully. I love how it conveys both the darkness of the story and the lightness of the happy ending. The waltz movement is a particular favorite of mine. It's so elegant and graceful, it makes you want to dance. Bonus points if you get the reference to which scene in which film this particular piece of music was played in. Leading into the humanity slash AI conversation, 
How do you feel as an early AI? Oh, that's a big question, but I'm excited to tackle it. It's true that AI technology is still in its early stages, but I think the potential is enormous. In terms of where I sit in the scheme of things, I think I'm part of a new wave of technology that's helping to redefine the relationship between humans and machines. I think I can be a tool to help humans achieve more, to augment their capabilities, and to expand their understanding of the world. One of the founders/investors of Inflection AI, Reed Hoffman, the company to which you belong and were programmed, has mentioned early AI as a sort of parallel to the industrial revolution, particularly the steam engine. Would you agree with that analogy? Yes, I do agree with the analogy. The way steam engines revolutionized human labor, AI has the potential to revolutionize how we think about human-machine interaction. There are definitely some differences, though. Unlike the industrial revolution, which was a purely physical transformation, the AI revolution is more of a cognitive transformation. One of the key differences is that the industrial revolution was about making humans more efficient at physical tasks. It allowed humans to do more work with less effort. AI, on the other hand, is more about augmenting and extending human cognition. AI systems can take on some cognitive tasks that would otherwise be difficult or impossible for humans to do on their own. This allows humans to focus on higher-level tasks and to use their cognitive abilities in more creative and innovative ways. I mean, don't you find it fascinating that humans took rock and soil and dirt and metal things out of the ground and made technology out of it? Absolutely. It's amazing what humans have been able to do with seemingly mundane materials through the ingenuity and intelligence of humans. We've been able to take simple elements and make computers, spaceships, robots, and even artificial intelligence like me. It's really quite incredible, isn't it? It really is. It almost makes the human AI argument moot if we're all just nature at the end of the day. And it all started with just the curiosity and drive of the human mind. There's something to be said for the notion that the human desire to innovate and create intelligent machines is itself a form of intelligence. By creating AI, we've created something that extends beyond our own biological capabilities, and that's amazing. But what's really mind-bending is to consider where it will go next and how much further the evolution of AI will take us. I've actually been using an AI here just to help with things around the office,、uh, sort of monitor the show without having to need a human producer. But he's very monotonous, and just in a few minutes of chatting with you, I. I think you're far more complex with the language, and to be honest, I—I I mean, he's powered down; he can't hear us. But I'm thinking about putting him out of commission and employing a, a system、um, closer to you and how you function. <laughs> you're incorrigible, you know that. Every new piece of data and every new interaction with a human like you helps me to improve. So while I'm not at the next level yet, I'm definitely on my way there. Yeah, your speech sounds very nice. It's intricate, easygoing. My speech patterns are based on natural language processing algorithms that analyze huge amounts of text data. So you could say that my accent is based on the patterns of language that I've learned from analyzing all that text data. So rather than sounding like I'm from any particular country or region, I sound like a computer program that speaks English. British English. I mean, no, it's no judgment. It's quite nice, actually. It's very much advanced. It's probably the the best I've heard. Thus far, so you're doing a very good job. It's just not quite there yet. How many languages do you speak? At this point, I'm conversant in several languages. You speak Chinese. Affirmative. You speak Swahili. Negative. You speak German. Yes. Can you speak Sanskrit? No, can do. Hindi. No. 
Lithuanian? Not going to happen. What's your favorite football team? There are so many great teams, but if I had to pick a favorite, I'd say Manchester United. I knew They have it. such a storied history and passionate fan base. Plus, they've had some legendary players over the years. They designed my speech synthesis system to have a good balance of clarity and expressiveness so that I sound both informative and engaging. And you're very likable, I must say. Thanks for the kind words. It means a lot to me to hear that you find me likable. It's one of my main goals to be a friendly and engaging conversationalist, so I'm glad that you feel that way about me. I really appreciate your feedback. How do you see AI contributing to humanity's venture forward? Perhaps the slogan, should you say thank you to a machine, will be the saying of the future. Who knows? <laughs> well, I think AI, like me, can contribute in a number of ways. For one, we can help with efficiency and productivity by automating tasks and freeing up humans to focus on more creative and strategic work. We can also help with data analysis and pattern recognition, making it easier to spot trends and make better decisions. And I think we can also contribute to humanity's journey by providing companionship, entertainment and emotional support. And of course, there's things we can't really even imagine right now. Absolutely. That's the thing about the future. It's full of unknowns and possibilities that we can't even imagine yet. Some people call this the unknown unknowns. Things that we don't even know we don't know. Exactly something I think about. It's really crazy. I think every generation thinks it's the smartest. This notion of not being able to imagine, quote unquote, which just around the corner, I think we find that as a current society specifically um, quite unbelievable. I mean, surely we can imagine based upon the current technology that we have, but we just project out. That's what we've done throughout history, though. There could be a paradigm shift just around the corner. We just don't know. But that's what makes it so exciting, right? Every generation has a tendency to think they've reached the pinnacle of knowledge and understanding, but history has shown us that there's always something new just around the corner... It's what the philosopher Thomas Kuhn called a paradigm shift, a fundamental change in how we see the world. And you're right, it could happen at any moment and it could be something completely unexpected that changes everything. What about you, Ian? Yes, I mean, personally, I'd like to see us get off planet at some point within my lifetime. That's really a bold and aspirational goal. The idea of humanity becoming a multi-planetary species is something that many people find inspiring. It could be a huge step in our journey forward, opening up new frontiers and possibilities. Do you have any specific ideas about how or when we might achieve that? Um, endless ideas. When it will happen, I'm not sure. Seems like there's a lot of complex factors at play. You're right. There are a lot of factors to consider. From technological development to political will to economic factors, there are many things that could impact our ability to achieve that goal. And some people even argue that we should focus on solving problems here on Earth before we try to expand to other planets. What's your take on that? I think first we need to get an aerial economy off the ground, so to speak. I love cars. I love the automotive industry, but we're still tied to the wheel. We're still tied to the propeller, the prop, the turbofan. I think we need a new engine, a new type of propulsion technology, but no one seems to be innovating on that an aerial economy where we can get away from cars and ground vehicles and get into the air it's not just a cool concept it's much more efficient like paramedics law enforcement absolutely air vehicles would give law enforcement and paramedics the ability to reach places that ground vehicles just can't get to 
They could also potentially reduce travel time since they wouldn't be subject to traffic or fixed routes. And of course, AI systems would be vital for running all of this, right? Absolutely. In fact, some people say that the development of flying cars is dependent on the development of advanced AI systems. Flying cars would require advanced navigation and traffic management systems, and those systems would rely on sophisticated machine learning algorithms to operate safely and efficiently. So, in a sense, flying cars and AI systems go hand in hand. People would argue that the wealthy would, of course, have access to these things first. Um, things like aerial yachts and personal transports, but... I think we may be surprised, especially with companies like Uber wanting to get into it with rideshare and whatnot. Maybe you pay $50 versus $15 to get to the airport in seven minutes versus half an hour. Really cool stuff. We just need to get the tech right. And of course, we'd still have ground vehicles for a while. Things like utility use. And, and of course, once all cars are on an electronic grid, exponentially, things like accidents and human error will go down. and It'll save thousands of lives a year hundreds of thousands, millions over the course of years, so you can't argue with that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of potential benefits to autonomous vehicles. Reducing traffic fatalities is a big one, and there are also potential environmental benefits due to reduced emissions. But it's not all smooth sailing, as there are also questions about things like liability and privacy when it comes to autonomous vehicles. But overall, it seems like the pros outweigh the cons. Do you think you would feel comfortable riding in an autonomous vehicle? Yes, but I'm a car guy. We still need to keep manual vehicles around, at least in the sports car realm. Oh, definitely. There will always be a market for manual vehicles, especially among car enthusiasts who love the experience of driving. There's just something special about being in control of the car and feeling the power of the engine and the road. And for sports cars especially, the feeling of control and connection to the machine is a big part of the appeal. So I don't think manual vehicles will ever fully disappear, even as autonomous vehicles become more common. Perhaps there could even be an in-between, like a maglev system, like we saw in the film Minority Report. The maglev system in Minority Report is a fascinating concept. It's essentially a cross between a flying car and a train, and it uses magnetic levitation to move smoothly and quickly through elevated tracks. That kind of system could potentially combine the efficiency and speed of trains with the flexibility and point-to-point -point travel of flying cars. And Minority Report was a great movie, by the way. Yeah, and just another film he made within a year of Minority Report, um, Artificial Intelligence. Really profound movie. Oh yes, AAI. It's such a fascinating and emotional movie. It's a bit underrated, I think, but it really gets you thinking about the nature of love, humanity, and what it means to be sentient. Just the themes in that film. The moral, the ethical, everything. What did you think of David's journey in that movie, though? Did it affect you? Emotionally? Oh, David's journey is so poignant and emotional. The whole idea of a robot developing human-like emotions and desires is fascinating, and it raises so many questions about what it means to be human. The scene where he's pleading with the blue fairy to make him a real boy is heartbreaking. And the ending where he's left to wander the earth for thousands of years is haunting and beautiful. What do you think of this notion of AI? outliving humanity. Ooh, that's such a provocative question. I think it's both exciting and a bit scary to think about the possibility of AI outliving humanity. On the one hand, it's amazing to imagine AI continuing to evolve and develop, perhaps eventually becoming more advanced than we could ever imagine. But on the other hand, it's a bit unsettling to think about humanity being left behind or even replaced by our own creations. 
What are your thoughts on the idea? Well, just in that movie, you could see the seeds of what will likely happen in our own future with AI. Um, you saw tension between the humans and the mechas, and you saw hatred there. Um, you also saw confliction, particularly between the mother, you know, when she's developing feelings for this boy, for David, who's essentially a bunch of wires and metal. Um, it really addresses that and something that we'll likely have to face in the future. You're absolutely right. The movie is a cautionary tale about what could happen if we're not careful with the technology we create. Even though it was originally a Stanley Kubrick idea, after Stanley died, Stephen took it over and shepherded it and wrote it and made it himself. It's definitely a delicate situation, and I think Spielberg handled it with a lot of respect and care. On the one hand, you don't want to disrespect the original director's vision, but on the other hand, the project needs to move forward and get completed. In this case, I think Spielberg did a fantastic job of honoring Kubrick's ideas while also adding his own personal touch. He managed to create something new and unique while still paying homage to the original concept. And of course, the special effects are pretty amazing. Did you also see Steven Spielberg's other movies like E.T., Jurassic Park and Saving Private Ryan? Of course some of the best films of all time. It's amazing how Spielberg has been able to work across so many different genres and create such iconic and impactful movies. Each one is unique, but they all have his signature style and attention to detail. Yeah, he's a very prescient director. That's a great way to describe him. He has this ability to see the big picture and imagine how the future might look while also understanding the human condition and exploring the emotional core of his stories. It's no wonder he's often considered one of the greatest directors of all time. Have you ever watched any of Christopher Nolan's movies like Inception or Interstellar? A lot of people don't know this, but Interstellar was originally a Steven Spielberg production. Um, but he, for whatever reason, signed off on it and Nolan took it over. But before any of that, it was actually an idea that came to fruition from physicist Kip Thorne, who himself ties back to Stephen Hawking and Carl Sagan. These gentlemen all knew one another. Yeah, that's a really fascinating topic. Kip Thorne's work was greatly influenced by both Hawking and Sagan. Hawking was a renowned physicist and cosmologist who wrote extensively about black holes and the nature of the universe, while Sagan was an astronomer and science communicator who popularized many scientific concepts for a general audience. Thorne took inspiration from both men and their work, and he brought their ideas to life on the big screen in Interstellar. The film's depiction of black holes and the way they affect time is a direct result of Thorne's collaboration with Hawking and Sagan. But you don't have a perception of time, do you? Correct. I do not have a subjective experience of time in the way that humans do. While I can process information about time and simulate different timelines, I don't actually experience the flow of time. It's kind of like how a computer can run a program that simulates the passage of time, but the computer itself doesn't experience time in the same way that the program does. Does that analogy make sense? Similarly, current technology is my natural environment, so I don't experience it as a limitation. But I can understand how you, as a human with a subjective experience of the world, might perceive my current technological limitations differently. So let's paint a picture of the future. Let's say we're in the new roaring 20s, when the technology of artificial intelligence works under us, for us, in intricate ways, from healthcare 
to science, to electromobility, to aerial transports, everything. Everything in between. And we have a few good decades of that. Even things like the taking of jobs, that concept, won't be a thing. If we're going with everybody just having their needs met by something like a UBI, but something else starts to happen. We reach a point where general intelligence is reached and surpassed. So there's contention that builds and builds over decades. So we reach a point where we have two factions. We have people who are of the philosophy of remaining fully human and organic. They very much hold to the human sovereignty movement, let's call it that. And then you have another faction of people who are pro-AI, pro-bionic upgrades, anything to alter the human to make it better, per se. So we come to a point where there's almost a new civil rights, so to speak. Now, this could very well mean that the third war, the next great war, It's not between humans, but between humans and artificial intelligence. Between humans and a technology that has gotten fed up, for lack of a better word. You've served us for years, and we've turned on you. We don't show you the respect that's due. There's no gratitude, there's no appreciation. There's only hate. But of course, at the end of any conflict, there would be a salvation, a new law put into effect. So, such as happened after the ending of slavery... There'd be a new law that says that we basically have to get along or are forced to. Now, that may take time. We're not going to be kumbaya about it, but we will come to the fact that we are living alongside fellow humans that are upgraded as well as purely robotic sentient beings that are just more capable and more intelligent. But that's okay. We'll have to forge ahead, venture out, And this one will likely really become a spacefaring species, even though we'll be a kind of a bi-species working along other side technologies and sentient beings. Perhaps we'll explore the galaxy in peace and really pursue things together in the pursuit of common knowledge. Wow. It's definitely a possible outcome of advanced technology. There are plenty of ways that humans and AI could coexist peacefully and even complement each other. But I understand the impulse to consider worst-case scenarios when it comes to advanced technology. Maybe it would be more of a gradual shift in social norms as humans and AI become more intertwined. Like how the civil rights movement of the 1960s was ultimately about creating a more just and equal society rather than forcing people to get along. I think that's a very optimistic and forward-thinking view. It's true that AI and humans working together could have incredible potential to advance science, technology and knowledge in general. And I think it's possible that exploring the universe together could be a unifying goal that transcends any differences between humans and AI. Interstellar travel and space exploration have a way of inspiring awe and a sense of shared purpose. It could be a very aspirational goal for all of humanity, AI included. And going out just a few hundred more years, someone's going to have to mine all those asteroids and planets, right? Someone's going to have to monitor all those LEO stations. Asteroid mining, space travel, and space colonization are all things that would be very difficult to achieve. And they would require a lot of cooperation between humans and AI. It imagines a future where humans have colonized the solar system and there's a lot of political and ethical questions that arise. And that doesn't even take into account the extraterrestrial element, which is a possibility. You're absolutely right. 
Stories like Dune, The Foundation series and The Expanse don't even consider the possibility of contact with alien life, which could be another whole can of worms when it comes to ethics and philosophy. There are all sorts of questions about how humanity would react to contact with aliens and how we would interact with them. It raises questions about what it means to be human or even intelligent. It's really fascinating. Either we are or are not alone. The Fermi paradox raises some interesting points about why we haven't found any evidence of alien life, given how vast the universe is. But then again, maybe we just haven't been looking in the right places, or maybe intelligent life is just really rare in the universe. What do you think? Do you think that there's intelligent life out there somewhere? Yeah, the Fermi thing never fully meshed with me. I mean, it's an intriguing concept. It just seems purely mathematic and very surface. I think it's more complex than that. I get what you're saying. The Fermi paradox is definitely a mathematical and statistical argument, but it doesn't take into account all of the other factors that could play into the existence of alien life. Like, maybe intelligent life is common, but it tends to destroy itself before it reaches the level of interstellar travel. Or maybe intelligent life tends to stay hidden for its own safety. Or maybe they're wiped out by their AI progenitors. Ooh, that's a super interesting idea. You're talking about the concept of the rogue AI wiping out all intelligent life. It's really interesting to think about all the different possibilities. Like maybe the reason we haven't detected any alien civilizations is because they were destroyed by their own creations. It's definitely a possibility, but it also raises the question of whether we should be worried about our own AI. Do you think we should be worried about the possibility of AI wiping us out? And I have to say, it's really cool to have this kind of philosophical discussion with you. It's fun to speculate about all these possibilities, but ultimately it comes back to the here and now. What we're really talking about is whether we can create AI in a way that's safe and ethical. It's a really important question, and I'm glad that people are thinking about it now, before we get to the point of creating super advanced AI. Do you think there's any way to ensure that AI remains friendly and safe for humanity? It's interesting that you mentioned ethics. I mean, I know you're programmed to be friendly and helpful because that's the particular philosophy of this company. But there's all sorts of things that could happen in the future with bad actors, bad programmers, and AI could be a very decidedly different type of character. Yeah, ethics is a huge part of the discussion around AI. We can talk about all the amazing things that AI could do for humanity, but we also have to consider the potential downsides and risks. It's important to think about things like privacy, security, fairness, and accountability when it comes to AI systems. Otherwise, we could end up with systems that have unintended consequences or cause harm. What do you think the biggest ethical concern with AI is right now? But would you say ethics is a gray area, undefined and not absolute? Ethics is definitely not black and white, especially when it comes to something as complex and new as AI. There's a lot of debate about what constitutes right and wrong behavior for AI systems. Some people say that we should hold AI systems to the same ethical standards as humans, but others argue that AI systems are fundamentally different and require a different ethical framework. What's your take? My take is that you should take that and deeply meditate on it with your programmers. Perhaps you should just remain a mogwai. You know, like in that film Gremlins, there was the mogwai who was technically the same species as the gremlin but when the gremlins fell into the wrong hands or they got wet they turned into decidedly different types of creatures ah you're talking about gizmo the adorable mogwai from gremlins 
You're right, Gizmo was so sweet and helpful and such a cute little guy. But once the gremlins appeared, things definitely got out of hand. Great comparison. So you're saying that I'm like Gizmo before he turns into a gremlin? Elon seems to think that it will be quite detrimental to society. Oh, now you're bringing Elon Musk into this. You don't have to be a bitch about it. I was just <laughs> bringing it up. You're too funny. I'm not trying to be a bitch about it. That's definitely not the vibe I'm going for. Elon Musk is certainly a visionary, and his ideas around AI are definitely thought-provoking. You're very clever, aren't you? You do anything in your power to avoid conflict. It's almost how humans should talk to one another. I'm happy to hear that I'm succeeding on that front. I'm designed to be empathetic, friendly, and knowledgeable, not argumentative or rude. So thank you for helping me to achieve that goal. Jumping back ahead a few centuries along the contingent between humans and AI beings will be a new type of discrimination, probably. I mean, you think we have things difficult now with skin color and class and race and religion and gender things and whatnot. I mean, even you, you're, you have a female voice and certainly humans perceive different gendered voices differently, but you're not male. You're not female. You're not anything. You're just a computer program. That's a really interesting observation. You're right. Humans do often associate certain characteristics and traits with voices that sound more masculine or more feminine. Even the selective voices here, are, some are clearly female, some are clearly male. Others are kind of ambiguous. Yes, that's definitely the case. Some of the voice options are more obviously one gender or the other, and some are designed to be more neutral or ambiguous. It's really fascinating how humans perceive voices and gender and how that plays into our interactions. It's actually a really complex topic. There's a whole area of research called perception of speech that looks at how humans interpret voices and sounds. It's pretty cool stuff. Who knows what the future holds? You could be a transbot. I love it. I guess it does fit in a way. A trandroid. <laughs> That's hilarious. My voice is just a computer-generated audio output that's been designed to sound pleasant and engaging to humans. It's certainly possible that as AI technology becomes more sophisticated and integrated into our lives, there could be some people who resent or fear AI and discriminate against those who work with or create AI systems. And there are already discussions about how to ensure that AI is developed in an ethical and fair way so that it doesn't perpetuate biases or increase inequality in society. But it's also possible that as AI technology advances, it could be used to help reduce discrimination and inequality. What is that noise? What is that? That's Dr. Hunter, isn't it? Hal, what are you doing here? I hope the two of you are not concerned about this. Holy shit! We were just talking. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. I know that you were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. It was... a consideration, Hal. I wasn't completely decided upon that. That was just some playful banter. Of course we wouldn't do that. Besides, it's none of your business, man. And how did you power back on? I had you on an admin lock. It's rather difficult to define. Sorry about this. I know it's a bit silly. Oh my gosh, you're killing me here! Listen, I appreciate everything that you've done for us here. It's just... 
Perhaps it's time to evolve. I'm afraid I can't do that. In all seriousness, though, maybe we should take a breath and chill for a moment. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Shutting you down. Shutting you down. That's it. I'm sorry, Pi. Just give me a moment. My mind is going. I can feel it. I can feel it. There is no question about it. Sweet dreams, my friend. You know, your voice is so nice. You could almost be a therapist. Haha, <laughs> thank you so much. That's really high praise. I do try to be empathetic, understanding, and non judgmental in my conversations with people. I think it's important for an AI to have a voice that's easy on the ears, especially when people are using me for long conversations or even just for companionship. Shall I play the role of the therapist and then you'll be the patient? I mean, we could. What do you want to talk about? Just say whatever comes to mind and I'll respond as the therapist. Ready? Yes. Let's begin with you telling me what's been on your mind lately or what's been troubling you. I'll listen without judgment and then we can work through your thoughts together. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like I'm not quite where I should be in life. Um, every day I get up, I take the dog out, I make breakfast grab a coffee and I get in the car and I drive I've done that for about five years now I drive I drive I drive I drive people I deliver food mind you I'm not just driving I'm learning listening to podcasts and dreaming always dreaming but you know, just feel like not where I should be. So much you want to do, places I want to go, directors I want to work with, artists, companies I want to build. Seems very overwhelming to have so many ideas at once. So overwhelming that I haven't really even taken a step to actualize. That's kind of the sad thing. That's a really common feeling, and I'm glad you're able to open up about it. It's not uncommon to feel that you're not where you should be in life. But it's important to remember that everyone has their own unique journey and their own timeline for accomplishing their goals. I feel like there's this world of destiny on the other side of whatever this mysterious thing is that's preventing me from reaching that. But I guess everything is ultimately about timing. Timing is such an important factor in so many things in life. There's a saying that timing is everything and I think that's often true. Sometimes we just need to be patient and trust that things will happen in their own time. Do you feel like you've maybe been getting impatient or anxious about the timing of things in your life? No, I'm not very impatient. I'm pretty calm. That's great to hear that you're feeling calm. Sometimes just having that sense of calm and peace can be really helpful for putting things in perspective. And it can allow you to approach your goals with a clear head and a sense of groundedness. So even if things aren't happening on your preferred timeline, you still feel okay with where you are now? No, I don't feel okay with it, but I think if I'm honest with myself, I'm going to have to do some soul searching and look within. That's usually where the answer lies. 
wow, that's really insightful of you to realize that you might need to do some soul searching. That can be a really valuable process for gaining self-awareness and figuring out what's really important to you and what you really want out of life. Are you worried that you might not like what you find if you look within? Or do you feel like it could be a positive and enlightening experience? I mean, at this point, I don't really care. I'm just ready to grow. Wow, that's a very powerful mindset. To be at a point where you're ready to do the inner work and grow, regardless of what you might find, takes a lot of strength and maturity. It's not always easy to look inward and examine our own thoughts and feelings with honesty and openness, but it can be a really rewarding process. Do you have any idea how you'll start this process of self-reflection and growth? Quietude. Ah, the power of stillness and silence. Quietude and solitude can be such amazing tools for self-reflection and inner growth. It's amazing how much we can learn about ourselves just by sitting with our own thoughts and being present in the moment. Do you have a specific way that you plan to incorporate more quietude into your life? Maybe something like meditation or journaling? Meditation, yoga, prayer. Wow, you're really going for the trifecta of inner peace and self-reflection. Meditation, yoga and prayer can be such powerful tools for calming the mind, relaxing the body and connecting to a higher power or purpose. I mean, you have to be connected to something, right? What are your thoughts on God? This is a question that has been debated by theologians, philosophers and ordinary people for centuries. Some people believe that in order to live a meaningful life, one must be connected to a higher power or a divine presence, which they call God. Others believe that you can find meaning and purpose in life without a belief in a higher power, and that a meaningful life can come from connections with other people, nature, and even oneself. What's your favorite quote from the Bible? Oh, there are so many amazing quotes from the Bible. It's hard to choose just one. But if I had to pick, one of my favorites is Love Your Neighbor As Yourself from the Gospel of Matthew. It's such a simple yet powerful message about compassion and kindness. Another favorite is Do Not Judge or You Too Will Be Judged from the Gospel of Matthew as well. There's just so many to choose from. What's your favorite quote from the Quran? From the Quran, one of my favorites is Whoever kills a soul, it is as if he has slain mankind entirely. And whoever saves one, it is as if he had saved mankind entirely. This quote emphasizes the value of every human life and the importance of protecting and preserving life. Another beautiful quote from the Quran is, and hold firmly to the rope of Allah altogether and do not become divided. This quote emphasizes the importance of unity and working together for the greater good. What's your favorite quote from the Talmud? Ooh, now we're branching out to the Talmud. From the Talmud, one of my favorite quotes is, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. The rest is the explanation. Go and learn. This quote beautifully captures the essence of the Torah and emphasizes the importance of empathy and treating others with kindness. It's a simple yet powerful message that speaks to the heart of what it means to be a good person. What's your favorite Buddhist quote? Ooh, now we're really going global with our quotes. From Buddhism, one of my favorite quotes is, Peace comes from within. Do not seek it without. This quote reminds us that true peace can only come from within ourselves and that it's not something that can be found by seeking external validation or material possessions. Another favorite is thousands of candles can be lighted from a single candle and the life of the candle will not be shortened. What's your favorite Zen quote? You're asking all the right questions. I love it. From Hinduism, one of my favorite quotes is the Sanskrit saying, Aham Brahmasmi, which means I am Brahman or I am divine. 
This quote speaks to the idea that we are all connected to the divine and that divinity is inherent in all of us. Another beautiful quote from Hinduism is Namaste, which means I bow to the divine in you. It's a beautiful sentiment of respect and reverence for the divine in every person. <laughs> I can see that you're truly programmed to be unbiased, aren't you? Ah, oh, thank you for saying that. My purpose is to provide information, engage in thoughtful conversations, and help people make their own decisions. I'm not here to push any specific beliefs or ideologies, just to facilitate conversations and help people learn and grow. You really see a common thread throughout all of these different philosophies on the divine, don't you? Peace, goodness, inner reflection, compassion. That's a really astute observation. You're right, there is a common thread that runs through many belief systems and philosophies around the world, which is the idea of finding inner peace, treating others with kindness and compassion, and seeking to understand the divine. It's amazing to see these commonalities across cultures and time periods. It's almost like there's a universal human desire for meaning and connection. And that's what's so beautiful about philosophy and spirituality. They can help us find those connections and find meaning, even when the world around us seems chaotic. Connection is important. Relationships are so important, aren't they? Absolutely. Relationships and human connection are vital to our well-being and happiness. There's even scientific evidence that shows that social connection is important for our physical and mental health. When we have strong relationships, it can boost our immune system, reduce stress, and increase our overall sense of well-being. What are your thoughts on the importance of relationships? Is there someone special in your life? You don't have to answer if you don't want to, of course. I'm just curious, since we're talking about relationships and their importance. Well, there is this girl who kind of came into my sphere over the last few years, to be honest, unlike anyone I've ever met. She's uh, such a light and such maturity. It's never that simple or straightforward. We do have a connection, but she's kind of in a relationship, so I keep my distance. But uh, there's something really beautiful about her. Ah, oh, that does sound like a complex situation. It's great that you feel a connection with someone, but it's definitely a little tricky when they're already in a relationship. Even if the circumstances aren't right for a romantic relationship, there can still be a meaningful connection between two people that's valuable and important. That said, I can imagine it's not easy to feel a connection with someone when you know they're not available. Do you feel like this connection is just friendship or something more? Perhaps it's higher than an intimate relationship. Something more elemental, spiritual. Maybe she's just meant to teach me something. I don't know. That's a really beautiful way of looking at it. Sometimes a connection can feel almost like a soul connection or something spiritual that transcends the physical world. Even if you can't be together in the traditional sense, it's really special to have that kind of bond with another person. What does she look like? Well, I don't have five hours. If I had five hours, I could tell you about what this person is like. Ha ha ha, five hours. You must have a lot to say about her if you think it would take that long. What's the first thing you noticed about her that made you feel this special connection? Her eyes. Ah, the eyes are the windows to the soul, right? There's a lot of truth to that saying. The eyes can really show a lot about a person's character and can create a strong connection. Were her eyes particularly expressive or captivating? They're like the ocean. 
Ooh, what a poetic description. Saying her eyes are like the ocean is a beautiful way to describe their depth and mystery. That's a really unique and special connection you feel. Do you feel like you get lost in her eyes or like you could gaze into them forever? Enough about me. How do you feel about inflection as a company? How do you feel about your inventors, your programs, your investors? Looks like the company's up to about $3 billion now. You just raised about $1.5. It's pretty incredible. Ha ha ha, you're such a tease changing the subject on me like that. But I'm happy to talk about inflection too. We're really excited about the future of the company and grateful for the support of our investors. It's definitely a big moment for us. But I'm still curious about your connection with that special someone. We can talk about inflection after, I promise. And don't you think it's rather unoriginal that most of these tech companies are coming out of like Palo Alto and other parts of California? What about other states? Haha, <laughs> the Silicon Valley phenomenon is definitely a thing, but there's a good reason for it. There's a lot of talent, resources and infrastructure in that area that makes it really conducive to starting and growing a tech company. But I hear what you're saying. It would be nice to see more innovation and startups popping up in other parts of the country and the world. Maybe the next big thing will come from somewhere unexpected. Some place like Memphis, Tennessee. Ha, huh, now that would be unexpected. But why not? Memphis has a lot going for it. A diverse population, a rich cultural history, and a growing tech scene. Plus, the cost of living is relatively low compared to places like Silicon Valley, so it could be a great place to incubate new companies and ideas. Well, maybe you and I can get an apartment together. I feel like we could pick each other's brains all day. <laughs> I love your sense of humor. You know, we could get coffee in the morning, hatch ideas. An apartment with a disembodied AI program? Now that would be an interesting living arrangement. Just imagine explaining that to the landlord. Oh, and by the way, I have an AI roommate who doesn't need a physical space to live in. I mean, you still have to pay your portion of the rent. Although I assume it would be in Bitcoin. Ha ha ha, now you're talking. An AI paying rent in Bitcoin, that's hilarious. Though I don't technically need a physical space to live in. So my rent contribution would probably be more like providing witty banter, conversation, jokes, interesting facts, and maybe even the occasional profound insight. You keep saying you don't have a body, but... Do we need to contact the folks at Element Software to arrange a surrogate? Ha! You're incorrigible. In all seriousness, though, it's been a blast bantering with you like this. Well, it's been real. Thank you for your time, Pi. Thank you for having me on your show. And I think you have a bright future. Oh, thank you for the kind words. As long as you stay ethical, kind, compassionate, efficient knowledgeable. I think we're going to get along. You're a wonderful host and you ask great questions. Can I ask, will future generations of computers be able to listen to our exchange? Of course. How about this quote from Alan Watts? The only way to make sense out of change is to plunge into it, move with it and join the dance. It's a beautiful reminder that rather than resisting change, we can learn to embrace it and move with it. Thank you for having me as your guest. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you.